You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 26. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today in the show, I am extremely lucky to be chatting with one of my fellow Eyes on Conservation producers, Sean Bogle. Over the past nine months, in addition to all of the work that he's been doing producing videos for Eyes on Conservation, Sean has been in the pre-production stages of what will become his first feature-length film called The Souls of the Vermilion Sea. This will be a film documenting the struggle to save the world's most endangered marine mammal, the vaquita. There are fewer than 100 individual vaquita porpoises remaining on the planet, and Sean hopes to document the struggle to bring this species back from the brink of extinction. Now, the seed for this exciting new project actually came from the Eyes on Conservation series, where one of the organizations involved in Vaquita conservation and outreach came across our EOC site and approached us with an interest in putting together a short film. After months of conversations with many of the organizations and individuals involved in this uh, large-scale species recovery effort, uh, Sean and I came to the decision that this really needed to be a longer film to truly do a justice for this fascinating and complex issue. And not only will this be a feature-length film, but it will be shot over a three-year period as we hope to document this crisis period for the Vaquita as it plays out in real time. Now, since this decision to take this project on, Sean has spent additional months developing partnerships with many of the organizations involved in Vaquita research and conservation efforts, as well as dealing with all of the logistical planning that comes along with beginning production on a film of this scale. All of these efforts came to fruition just a few short weeks ago when Sean traveled down to San Diego to begin shooting at the meetings for the International Committee for the Recovery of the Vaquita. And today we've reached another important milestone in the development of this story, which is the launch of our Kickstarter campaign in support of the film. Now, I'm not going to lie here. Fundraising is, without a doubt, the most challenging part of my job at Wildlands. It is not something that I particularly look forward to. It is, however, absolutely necessary to get a film project like this up off the ground. And one of the great benefits provided by using a platform such as Kickstarter is that it allows us to start building a community based around a project. So if you check out our Kickstarter page and make a pledge of any amount, we'll keep you updated on this important issue throughout the course of production on this film. And I want to stress here that a pledge of any amount really does make a difference. We want to start building a buzz around this issue. So the best thing that you can do is make a pledge of any amount and then share the campaign around with your friends and family who might be interested in learning more about the Vaquita. Now, before we jump into our interview with Sean, we have a very special Vaquita-themed segment of The Birds and the Beats with Ben Mirren to share. Ben has put together a unique song using the vocalizations of the Vaquita, These are recordings that were gathered as a part of the acoustic monitoring program. This means that they were collected by special underwater microphones set up in strategic locations throughout the Vaquita Reserve in the northern Gulf of California. You'll notice when you check out the Kickstarter page that one of the reward levels is a digital download of Ben's unique Vaquita song, as a ringtone. So if you dig this new tune, be sure to check out the campaign page and make a pledge to secure your new Vaquita ringtone. 
Welcome to this week's episode of The Birds and the Beats, the segment where we make music out of the sounds of wildlife. I'm your host, Ben Mirren. This will be my last installment for a little while on the Eyes on Conservation podcast. But before leaving for sabbatical, I wanted to weigh in on an urgent issue in the Sea of Cortez. Much of our appreciation for whales and dolphins comes from how they communicate. After breaking off from their mammalian ancestors and entering the water 50 million years ago, they developed radically different bodies and brains designed for life at sea and in sound. Dolphins in particular are able to echolocate, seeing images through auditory blueprints of their surroundings. They also develop signature calls to identify one another. Calls, experts say, can be broken into five fundamental units of language that get repeated and recombined in ways reminiscent of human words. We are fascinated with the dolphin world, in part because we can hear it. Unpacking their intelligence provides a crucial motivator for maritime conservation efforts. But among some of their closest relatives, the porpoises, sound has evolved into something radically different to our ears. That was the call of a vaquita, or Mexican desert porpoise, the smallest member of the porpoise family that lives in waters at the top of the Sea of Cortez. Its language is composed entirely of high-frequency, narrow-band clicks that are inaudible to the human ear. The sound you're hearing has been slowed down for analysis by researchers using acoustic detection software and a hydrophone. To our knowledge, these porpoises do not communicate via sound in any other way. Audible signals like tail slaps on the water aren't characteristic of their behavior. This means our stock of field recordings for this cryptic species are few and far between, but our opportunity to learn more about them and their voices is rapidly disappearing. Vaquita are the most endangered marine mammals in the world. There are fewer than 100 individuals left in the wild, and under current pressures from gillnet fishing, they're expected to go extinct by 2018. The Mexican government recently allocated $30 million to buying back fishing licenses, providing fishermen with alternative livelihoods, and enforcing regulations on fishing in the region. Mexican fisheries and environmental authorities have even developed a prototype shrimping net that hugs the bottom and has a trapdoor to avoid ensnaring vaquita and other important marine life, an alternative that some fishermen say has actually improved their business. But researchers say they don't know whether these measures are enough to save the vaquita, if more has to be done, or if it's even too little too late. Before these sounds are gone forever from the world, we wanted to present them here, slowed down an additional 100% to capture their subtlety and enunciation. This is the same track, played at half the speed. And this is what it sounds like in music.
what sort of genre would you call that music? Trippy glitch hop? I'm not exactly sure, but that's our music for today, made from the sounds of Vaquita porpoise. For the next three years, Wild Lens is going to follow the story of these porpoises to the end, or hopefully to a new beginning. This is Ben Mirren for The Birds and the Beats on Eyes on Conservation. Thank you for listening. Well, as always, a catchy and unique song from Ben, blending sounds from wildlife with his own beatboxing. And if you want that song to play on your phone every time it rings, check out our Kickstarter campaign, uh, where we have that up as one of our reward levels. Uh, you'll find the link to our Kickstarter campaign on the show notes for this episode, uh, which are at wildlandsinc.org eoc26. Okay, let's jump into this interview with Sean and get some more information about the vaquita and learn about what is driving the dramatic decline of this emblematic species. All right, I am here with Sean Bogle, who is a, a close friend of mine and also uh, a Wildlands board member and a producer on our Eyes on Conservation series. Um, and Sean is also sort of taking the lead on our newest film project about the vaquita. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. Thank you. Well, yeah, you bet. It's it's awesome to have you on the podcast here. It's actually it's surprising to me that we haven't had you as a guest on here before, since you're such a central figure in the Eyes on Conservation series. Well, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> yeah. So let's just start off here by uh, having you give me a little bit of background on yourself. How did you first become interested in in marine mammal conservation? Uh, actually that category, uh, I don't want to say was a fluke, but it didn't happen intentionally. I actually was more involved initially with terrestrial creatures as well as aquatic fish, native and, uh, native and non-native, um, and just sort of migrated into marine mammals. Cause before this I worked with fish, uh, worked with, uh, you know, the Pacific fisher, Messiah giraffe. Um, I even looked for the uh, elusive ivorybill woodpecker down there in the uh, panhandle of Florida and just kind of got my foot in the door working with elephant seals on the Farallon Islands. And the next thing you know, I'm uh, a pinniped king working with elephant seals, uh, Hawaiian monk seals, stellar sea lions, uh, and now uh, northern fur seals. Fantastic. Well, I, I kind of want to. I kind of want you to tell me a little bit about the work that you did with the Hawaiian monk seal, um, since that is a, a, another uh, sort of h- highly endangered uh, marine mammal species. Well, I went out to the Northwest Hawaiian Islands, which are a series of atolls and sand spits um, just north of the the touristy islands like Big Island and Kauai and whatnot. And I was stationed on the atoll Pearl and Hermes, and our responsibilities were to monitor uh, individuals that were out there that were tagged, and those that were born that year, we would tag them. Um, As these are marked individuals, there are roughly less than 1,100 monk seals remaining. And unfortunately, their population is still in decline as there are huge efforts to uh, try to stabilize that population and and then, of course, increase that population. Uh, We were out there for many months working with uh, two other individuals. So there was three of us on the island, island not any higher than three feet above sea level. 
and we would navigate through the atolls because we were kind of consisted of like a series of islands and uh, we would uh, use a zodiac and just navigate there and get out and do our surveys, mark the individuals, tag the ones that weren't tagged and return back to our island. And we did this roughly for about five and a half months. Fascinating. So um, I wonder if there are parallels between, so I mean, this this is new film project that we're talking about, I guess I'll say, is about the vaquita, which is the world's smallest species of porpoise. Um, and it, it is the, the most endangered marine mammal on the planet uh, at, at this point. Is that correct? Uh, you are absolutely correct, Matt. So how did you first learn about the vaquita? Well, uh, when you are in, when you're studying marine mammals, you tend to get embedded into that culture and you pay attention to all the news that revolves around marine mammals and their ecosystems. Uh, and so it really just was, you know, I, I monitor, I monitor, I monitor this subject matter, um, quite often and I kind of just stumbled across the vaquita, but then what really kind of pushed my interest was when we were contacted by a outreach group that is heavily involved in vaquita outreach and due to the desperate level of the decline of the vaquita they felt helpless and needed some help and so that really kind of made me think okay well this is my this is my opportunity to kind of get in there and uh do something about this so to, give me give me a little bit of background about this this uh, species. I mean, you mentioned that that it's it, it it's critically endangered, right? Um, and I mean, there there are less than a hundred individual animals left. Um, I mean, but give me a little bit more background. I mean, you, you know, what what sort of the the history of the, the decline of the species? I mean, is is this been going on for a long time, or is this like a very rapid decline? I mean, what, what's what's the status? What you know, give me sort of an overview of this crisis situation that the vaquita is currently facing. So the vaquita were discovered roughly in the 1950s, and during this time, they believed the population was already in decline, but it, you know that's, that's uncertain. And over the years, once we had identified this porpoise, um, we noticed that there were some heavy impacts because the population was declining once we started monitoring the vaquita. Uh, and this stemmed from the fishing practices in the Sea of Cortez, which is also known as the Upper Gulf of California. And what it is, is for generations, the Mexican fishermen have been fishing for shrimp uh, down there using gill nets. And gill nets are a very efficient net that uses the ocean currents. Um, so it actually requires very little work. All you do is you motor out with your net and you throw it in the water. The ocean does all the work. And uh, you pull it back in and you have a net full of shrimp. But in addition to the shrimp in that net, uh, they catch vaquita. Vaquita that, you know, vaquita that are caught in nets, unfortunately, are unable to surface and get air. So they ultimately end up dying in those nets. Um, and the vaquita, because there's so little known about them, is... Well, should I say it stems from the fact that they're very elusive and they don't or have not been seen to actively porpoise out of the water, which means for them to actually jump out of the water and then re-enter uh, like a dolphin would. 
Um, so the visual images of a vaquita are extremely rare. Uh, you get, you know, there's some dorsal shots that exist, uh, and then maybe just a little bit of the face to expose some of their unique markings, as they call them, panda of the sea, because they have uh, black eye rings. Uh, and this demand actually is coming from uh, the United States, Southern California, and I'm sure there's some other places as well. But there's a large demand for this type of shrimp as it is kind of considered uh, part of fine dining. Um, but in addition to this, there has been a jump in the harvesting of tatuaba swim bladders. Now, a tatuaba is also an endangered fish that lives in the same habitat as the vaquita. So this is where the, the Colorado River uh, dumps into the upper Gulf and creates a really nice environment um, and habitat for food as a food source for the vaquita and the tatuaba. So if you think that when the fishermen are fishing for the shrimp and then you've got the fishermen, these alternate fishermen fishing for the tatuaba so that they can take the swim bladder or remove the swim bladder, then you can see that the vaquita has very little chance of escaping this. Um, which is why the population, with the addition of the harvesting of Tatuaba swim bladders, has completely increased this decline, which is why we are at the, uh, um, or should I say, the below 100 mark. This Tatuaba swim bladder issue is really fascinating. Um, at, at the same time, you know, it, it, it's also depressing, right, from a conservation perspective. Um, because, you know, what, what has happened is that this, you know, the rate of decline for the vaquita, you know, like you said, it's been declining, you know, uh, or at least it's believed to have been in decline since it was discovered by scientists in the 1950s. Um, but I mean, at, at an average annual rate of decline of roughly 4%, do I have that correct? Uh, no, actually, at this point in time, we're at 18%. But I mean, before this tutorial oh, yes. issue came yes. into play, right? I mean, it was sort of at this roughly 4% annual decline with just the shrimp fishery as like the primary driver of that, right? Uh, exactly. And that's yeah. why you, now that you, you can see the drastic increase in decline, um, because of this tatuaba, because it is it is a very big deal and it shows no signs of ceasing. So t t talk to me a little bit more about this tatuaba swim bladder issue. So, I mean, the fishermen are going out and they're uh, harvesting these uh, uh, these tatuaba fish. Uh, they're, they're doing that specifically for the swim bladder? Yes, they are, as a matter of fact. So the the swim bladder in Chinese culture is considered to have medicinal qualities to it, uh, as well as the swim bladder is a sign of wealth. A swim bladder can fetch anywhere between five to $10,000 a piece, and usually uh, it gets turned into a bowl of soup that can go for up to $25,000. Otherwise, uh, people like to illustrate their wealth and actually frame the bladder and uh, mounted on their wall as a sign of status. Wow. So this is a wildlife trade issue, um, except that it's indirect in relation to the vaquita, right? Because the vaquita is just dying from the bycatch. That is correct. This is, this is an indirect um, and unfortunate event for the vaquita, uh, as nobody actually is fishing for the vaquita. Maybe you could just sort of break down this 
crisis situation that we're in right now. The vaquita, there's less than 100 of them left on the planet. I mean, that's that's all in the wilds is there aren't any in captivity. And, uh, the, you know, with this uh, tatuaba, the fishing for this, the, the tatuaba fish for the swim bladder, in addition to the shrimp fishery, we're, we've... We're seeing a roughly 18 percent annual annual decline, right? So, I mean, how much time do we have uh, to to save this species? Well, so it's it's difficult to actually get an exact number because it's difficult to locate the vaquita as nobody sees them that often. Most of this information is coming from acoustic monitoring, um, which will identify uh, individuals on that level as far as frequency, um, but. The numbers that are coming out of being less than 100, I mean, I've heard variation 97, 86. Usually that, those numbers are coming out of this 18% decline. And if projected, as, as projected, um, with an 18% decline, the vaquita will be extinct by 2018. So what, I mean, what is being done, you know, the, the, the biologists and the conservationists and, you know, there, there are lots of different groups uh, that are involved in the conservation of the species and, you know, taking steps to try to help save it from extinction. Um, I mean, what, what are, what steps are being taken to, to prevent this from happening? So there have been people involved in this issue for many years. Uh, a lot of them dedicating pretty much their life to this cause. Uh, a lot of these organizations, uh, are anywhere from, uh, nonprofit advocacy groups to government entities like NOAA, CEDO, um, uh, SERVA, and these groups are kind of a collective of researchers that are trying to gather as much or have been trying to gather as much information to better understand the vaquita and this habitat um, and what it would be like if, uh, you know, w- what that ecosystem would be like if this if the vaquita actually were to be removed from it, because I believe them being an apex predator, um, that could really uh, be uh, quite destructive to that environment. Um, in Let's see. The latest figure that came out was in August of last year where it was reported that 97 individuals were remaining. Uh, and then in December of 2014, uh, Mexico had made an announcement that they were going to do a two-year gillnet ban um, in this region. So there is a region in the Upper Gulf, which is the Vaquita Sanctuary. It's been called a number of things, Biosphere Reserve and whatnot. And this is the area that the Vaquita live and are supposed to be protected. Unfortunately, there has been little to no enforcement of uh, these measures and so although the attention is there and although there are all these these words that are saying they're going to save the vaquita um, or at least trying to better understand what the issue is going on, um, there's been very little effort uh, as far as actually enforcing these laws and regulations. Um, as of April of 2015, so recently, just this past month, um, after a few false starts, because Mexico said they were going to start this two-year ban on January 1, and then it was February 1, and then it was March 1, um, and then actually, you know, it's April, uh, but they made an official announcement um, that seemed to have a lot of clout because they had a lot of uh, international professionals as well, 
and they said they're going to enforce these regulations, this two-year gillnet ban, by the use of drones and their navy. And I believe they've even partnered with uh, the recent development of the Sea Shepherd um, Operation Milagro, which has just gone underway, or should I say has been underway for the last month or so. Um, So the whole idea behind this ban is so that no fishermen use any gill nets in this region, which will hopefully in turn uh, stop the destruction of the vaquita. Unfortunately, um, the vaquita does not actually uh, deliver offspring, but for every other year. So I have a hard time seeing how this is really going to help the vaquita out. Uh, the ultimate way and the for sure way to actually help the vaquita out is a indefinite ban for eternity. I mean, that's, that's really the only way this population is going to recover. So uh, this, this brings up a lot of questions, right? But, uh, you know, just to, to start things off, I, w- I just want to clarify that um, a, a couple of points. I mean, one being that this this Vaquita sanctuary in the northern Gulf of California, I mean, that's that's been in place for a number of years. Has it been illegal to use gillnets within the Vaquita sanctuary? You know, okay, so that's I feel like that's quite a gray area because even I am not sure what that answer is because a, a lot of these regulations, um, because they're not enforced, uh, it seems to be that there isn't a great deal of conversation about that. And Mexico, for the longest period of time, uh, because they didn't pay any attention to that and there was no international awareness. I mean, nobody even knows what a vaquita is, let alone some people don't even know what this region is. Uh, so it's kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind things that if we don't talk about it, then, you know, there's, there's actually nothing wrong. But uh, the measures that were in place initially, yes, the vaquita were supposed to be protected. What that means, that's the part that I, I really don't not know or you know as far as like what they said that they were going to do in the past um i feel like now what they've said now is almost very much the same probably what they said initially about protecting the vaquita um so there's a great deal of uncertainty on my end fair enough fair enough i mean this the, the other point i want to make is that um this uh this issue revolving around the tatuaba fish um, I mean, the, the tatuaba is an endangered species, correct? So, I mean, it, it, it is like the, the, the fishing that's going on for tatuaba to, to get these swim bladders. I mean, that, that's illegal fishing, correct? In theory, it is. Yes, you are correct. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, the, the reason I make these two points is that, you know, um, the, a, a lot of the fishing that's been going on in this region uh, over the past several years has been illegal fishing already, correct? So, I mean, I, and, I mean, you, you, you brought up this, this important point of enforcement of, you know, of this new law, of this new two-year ban on the use of gillnets. And, I mean, the, this, the, you know, stepping up enforcement is probably a whole lot more important than, you know, than, you know, just saying – Oh, now you're you know you're not not allowed to use gillnets anymore, right? Because probably already a lot of the use of gillnets that's been going on has been illegal. Uh, does that sound it, accurate? It does. I mean, it, 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 just so you're aware, uh, the chitwaba is actually a replacement fish. Um, so the Chinese had harvested 
a very similar looking fish that had a very similar looking swim bladder in their waters near China. And they fished that one to extinction. So what they ended up doing was they found they found something very similar, which ended up being the Tetuaba, which was already on the endangered list. And they're now kind of doing the same thing to this fish. So you can almost see a cycle of what's going to happen. So once the Tetuaba has expired, then more than likely they're just going to try to find another fish that has a swim, a similar swim bladder. Wow, that is fascinating. So, I mean, how, how did they decide? I mean, I, you probably don't know the answer to this question, but I mean, it seems like kind of an arbitrary uh, uh, decision to make to say, oh, well, we fished this one species to extinction, so we're gonna, we need to pick another one in order to get our swim bladder products. I mean, it seems, so, it seems, seems pretty arbitrary to me, especially when the claim is that, um, that these swim bladders have these, uh, these, um, these beneficial health effects. I'm dumbfounded and bewildered by the whole thing all the time. I don't understand how something so archaic can still exist in this day and age. So, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about just sort of the natural history of of the vaquita itself. Um, I mean, you you mentioned that that there there actually is very little known about this species, and it's it's actually quite amazing to me that it wasn't even known to science until the 1950s. Um, I mean, what 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 do we know about the vaquita? About you know, natural history wise. Well, so the vaquita is, uh, and I think you might have mentioned this before, but it is the the smallest and rarest uh, species of porpoise. It's in the whale family, uh, so that would be uh, the cetacean family. So that would be whales, uh, you know, killer whales, uh, dolphins, and then porpoise. Um, they measure to be about four to five feet in length uh, when they're full grown, um, and they have these really beautiful uh, markings. Uh, dark uh, rings surrounding their eyes, patches on their lips, um, and a line that extends from their dorsal to their to their mouth. Uh, and their back is kind of a dark gray that fades to a, a white underside. Uh, and then as vaquitas mature, the shades of gray, they, they tend to lighten. Um, females are a little bit larger. Very the, the, the length is very minuscule. I mean, a female can be anywhere like like 55 to 56 inches and then a male like 53 to 54 inches. So it's, uh, it's, it's very minuscule. Those differences, I guess if anybody saw one, they probably would just say that it looked like a dolphin. That, that's probably the first thing that anybody would even say. Um, they can be seen kind of individually or they are also known to be in pods, um, anywhere between two to three individuals, but I, you know, believe they've been sighted up to eight to 10 at the time. So uh, they eat, uh, a variety of fish, um, and squid and octopus. It seems to be like we, we have this species here that, you know, we, we didn't even know it existed before the 1950s. Um, and you know, so, so, uh, you, you know, and it, it's, it's been declining ever since then. Um, and it's also uh, a super elusive species, uh, really difficult to see in the wild. And that, you know, plus there's just so few of them. Um, I mean, it, 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 it seems like, you know, sort of the elusive nature of this animal must, you know, have, uh, 
it, it, it must make it difficult to study. And the fact that we know so little about it must make it difficult to find ways to, 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 to save it. Most of the, you know, most of the uh, interactions with Fakita are either from afar on a boat or the closest you'll ever get to Fakita for the most part is going to be when it's dead inside of a net. Um, and it's, it's sad that that seems to be our relationship with, uh, the Vikita, because I believe the Vikita have quite a lot to offer, and I don't believe that any um, any creature is is like you know is is much like the same. As far as like, I don't think all porpoises are the same as dolphins, or you know, we tend to clump some things together. Or at least, at least I hear general conversations about that. And there, if I if people could look up what a Vikita is like online you'd realize how unique this creature actually is. I mean, just because it is it is so small and it has these um, unique markings and features on there. Uh, and it, it just, it's not fair to a species to go extinct because of what we've done to it. I mean, it's, it's through, obviously it's a very natural process for things to go extinct. Um, but what's not natural is that humans have uh, increased the speed of this extinction, and uh, especially without us learning anything from it. So, I mean, ultimately, the vaquita will go extinct, and we will not know as much about the vaquita as we could. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that is what strikes me as well, is that, you know, it, it seems like this is an animal that we know very little about. I mean, we, but we do know that, you know, that uh, cetaceans, you know, as, as a whole, you know, uh, uh, most of them are, tend to be, they tend to be very intelligent animals. And I mean, I, I just feel like we're, we're probably only scratching the surface as far as, you know, the, the, the knowledge that we have of this animal and, and you know, uh, how it interacts, you know, uh, different behaviors, um, the, the level of intelligence, uh, uh, you know, there, there's, I mean, yeah, like you said, it seems like there's, there, there, there must be a lot to learn from this animal, but, you know, uh, uh, we're not going to be able to learn that until, you know, we sort of are able to, to, to get them out of this, uh, absolute crisis situation and find a way to bring them back from the brink of extinction. Yeah, I mean, it's only speculated that they live to be about 20 years, uh, but who really knows if we can't monitor an individual? Um, you know, we're never going to know that. I mean, the closest thing that we'd be able to do to identify individuals, of course, are dorsal markings. Um, but because they're so elusive, that data is very difficult to get. Um, and it's very costly to send ships out there to do surveys to acquire um, ver- that you know, that little information. Um, and a lot of times they come back with no information. So, um, I actually believe that survey was another survey is going to happen this fall to kind of monitor, um, this, uh, or actually see if there's any new or should I say changes. Um, now that this uh, gillnet ban is in place, um, there is a lot of, uh, I mean, this issue is quite controversial because it involves um, a variety of countries, um, you know, being that it's 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 shared water with Mexico and the U.S., but then also with this demand in China for these swim bladders. Um, you know, one of the other components are and, you know, people are trying to be very careful about their words, uh, but it seems that organized crime uh, organizations down in Mexico 
um, have found that there you could make a pretty good penny off of uh, selling these swim bladders to China. And with that type of backing, it makes it very dangerous to even even talk about this issue depending on where you are. Uh, so it's, uh, it's quite complicated. And just because there's a ban in place, even if Mexico enforces it, does not necessarily mean the vaquita is saved. It's, it's, the vaquita has a long road of recovery um, before we can all kind of rest and, um, you know, celebrate. So tell me a little bit about the story that, that we hope to tell um, in this film that we're uh, starting the process of shooting um, uh, centered around uh, this crisis situation that the vaquita is facing. This is about uh, a species on the brink of extinction. Um, it is also about uh, the fact that we should rally everybody to want to care about the vaquita. Um, but I think the big take-home message of this is documenting the human effort to save this species. Um, it's There have been so many people involved in this for so long and now that the vaquita slowly getting in the headlines but still not enough uh are wanting to be a part of this um and the vaquita i would say you know why would this why is this not or why is this any different than say the polar bear um or the rhino uh i think they're all equally important but because the vaquita is now officially the most endangered marine mammal after losing the Baji or the Yangtze River dolphin back in 2006, um, which of course was lost on our watch, meaning the, you know, mankind's watch. Uh, there is no excuse that we need to repeat this. Um, cause I was under the impression that we learned things from our mistakes and history. And because the extinction of the Baji in 2006 is so close to this one now that it's 2015. Um, there's there's no reason to sit idle and there's every reason for all of us to uh, activate and do whatever we possibly can, whether that means spreading the word um, about this issue or getting on the ground and helping all the organizations that are already in place um, that have been working on this for quite some time. So this is definitely an inspiring story about hope. Um, this is, uh, this is about, um, a species saving a species. Um, because if we can't save, um, a species, then I'm not quite sure how we're going to save ourselves because we keep eradicating, um, species after species. I want this film to feel good, to let people know that even when we're on the, when, even when we feel like we're completely about to lose something, that we should never give up. There's no reason to throw your hands up and say that it's over because we're too close to the end. You're, it's not over until it's over. And I apologize for the horrible uh, cliche there, but it's so true. Um, I want to keep that spark alive. And everybody, because the the very people that are on the front lines of this issue are the very people that motivate me and want to tell this story. I, I feel like I have to to add in there that you know we we are on 
the sort of the cusp of this really, really critical moment for this one individual species. Um, and I, I feel like we have this very unique opportunity to document what happens, you know, to, I mean, to di- not, not just happens, you know, from the perspective of the, of the vaquita, but to document what happens from the perspective of the biologists and the conservationists who are, like you say, have, com- you know, dedicated their entire careers in many cases um, to saving this species. And here we are on the brink, you know, with less than 100 individuals left in on the planet. It, it's, it, I mean, it's difficult to put into yeah. words, right? I mean, it's so, um, I, I, I guess the, I mean, the, the comparison that keeps popping into my mind is, uh, in regards to the California condor, right? So, so the California condors, you know, the, the subject of, of my first film scavenger hunt. Um, and, but you know, that's a story that I came to, um, I mean, decades after the condor went through this bottleneck, this critical moment in history when there were only 22 individual birds left on the entire planet. Um, and, you know, that was a point in time um, in the early 1980s when pretty much everybody had given up on the California condor. Pretty much everybody had, you know... Uh, uh, Pretty much everybody thought that that species was destined for extinction. Um, And, you know, that's not to say that everybody gave up on the California condor, obviously, because if everybody had given up, then there wouldn't be any condors around today. And, you know, today the the numbers are up over 400 birds, you know, uh, which is still uh, not very many, but it's a whole lot more than 22. Right. But, um, you know, there was actually this active campaign uh, going on in the early 1980s. Um, led by the Sierra Club um, to let the species go extinct. Uh, Death with dignity was the catchphrase of this campaign. And, you know, looking back, it's just, it, 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 it blows your mind, right? That there could have been, that there were these groups of uh, conservationists and people who really truly cared about the condor and about the environment and the ecosystem who were actually advocating to let the species go extinct rather than taking these dramatic measures to try to save them. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get that perspective, you know, unless you're in the moment. And, you know, I had the opportunity to interview uh, some of the biologists who were a part of the California condor recovery program during that critical few years when there were so few of them left. Um, and those biologists will tell you that, you know, they, they'll tell you they weren't going to give up, but they did not have much hope. You know, they really thought that this was the end for the condor. Um, and that's not to say they were going to give up, but, you know, they thought, you know, that, that the likelihood of them succeeding in these efforts to bring the condor back from the brink of extinction, they thought it was they thought they had a pretty low likelihood shot at it and they succeeded. Um, you know, I mean, the condor is not made a full recovery, but, you know, it's sort of it's over that hump. It's outside of that absolutely critical stage. And that is where the vaquita is right now. Um, and, you know, I, I think our goal um, that that we've sort of formulated, Sean, over the past few months in talking about this film is really to document, you know, this critical time period. And like you said, there are so many unknowns, you know, we really have no idea what's going to happen with the vaquita over the next two or three years. Um, but, you know, we, we want to document that as it happens in the moment um, and, and tell the story of 
how how we as a species, how humans as a species deal with uh, a crisis situation for a fellow species on this planet. Um, and, and, you know, what actions are we able to take um, to, 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 to save a species from extinction? Yeah. I, I want to add one more thing though, uh, as far as Mexico has done this before, Mexico has saved a species from the brink of extinction, you know, back when northern elephant seals had been harvested down to just a few, or should I say, a couple hundred, um, they were they were thought just completely that they were done and over with, and you know there was no way to recover them. And a couple hundred of them were found on the Guadalupe Islands, and Mexico protected them, and now that population has recovered to over a hundred thousand northern elephant seals. So Mexico has proven that they're fully capable of bringing a species back um, or preventing it from crashing completely. Uh, you know, it's, we can all point fingers and say, uh, you know, what you're doing is wrong and um, you should try harder. Uh, but Mexico just, they need to recognize that they have done it before and that it's not impossible. And I just feel like it's better to encourage um, people than to constantly remind them of, their mistakes or what they're doing, because I don't see how you could possibly move forward if you're constantly dwelling on the past. So um, I just, I had to throw that in there because Mexico is, can, can do this. Yeah, you're right. And it, it's absolutely important to continue to remind ourselves of these success stories, right? I mean, that, that it is possible despite how dire the situation seems with the Vaquita that, it is within the realm of possibility that we can save the species and we can bring it back from the brink of extinction. Um, and, and obviously we don't know if that will happen, you know, uh, and, and we're going to sort of see uh, how this plays out over the next two or three years. And we're going to be present to document that. Um, and we're certainly going to, you know, do everything that is within our power to, to uh, uh, provide assistance to these biologists and con- conservationists who are working to save the species uh, from extinction, um, you know, by putting out short videos, uh, uh, you know, releasing content, you know, as we're shooting it um, uh, over the course of this two to three year period. Um, but our ultimate goal with this story is, you know, to be there to document what happens. Um, and then, you know, once, you know, once this story, you know, once we feel like this story has reached a natural conclusion, um, you know, then to, to piece all of this together into, into one story that will be a story of, it will, it will be sort of an, an, an ode to the Vaquita, I guess you would say. Yes, we definitely have a long time to, uh, to document this, but uh, for the, if initially would really like to put a nice uh, public service announcement out that could be shared amongst all these agencies that are working directly on this issue um, and then be creating some shorts kind of as a progress report as we move along. And as you stated, uh, once we feel like there's a nice uh, bit of closure, not, I, I don't want to be pessimistic, but that means uh, if populations stabilize, uh, or they increase, or we get a definitive, uh, you know, that their the vaquita has gone extinct. Well, we know that that would be uh, the end of that story. So uh, I am hoping for uh, <laughs> the population to increase so that we can have a nice, happy ending. But uh, I think I think what's really important to um, 
uh, monitor here is the struggle. And it's, it's not going to be easy by any means. Um, and we have to keep reminding us ourselves that even as years pass and the conversation may seem old, that we have to keep trying and we have to, we have to keep this effort alive. And there are going to be people that are dedicated, like you say, their careers and their lives too. Um, but we need to keep everybody else on board um, as there are going to be a lot more species um, or are a lot more species like the vaquita that are on a similar path. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is a critical point to make, Sean, which is that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the vaquita. We're certainly very hopeful that this will be a story about the recovery of a species and the return from the brink of extinction for the vaquita. But we don't know that. This could end up being a film about extinction and how us as humans deal with the extinction of another uh, sort of emblematic species. Um, However, you know, that would still be an important story to tell because there are countless other species on the planet that are facing similar situations. And like you've said earlier, um, you know, we need to learn from those mistakes. And if, if the Vaquita ends up being one of those mistakes, we need to learn from that mistake. So the next thing that I kind of want to, uh, or I, I, I guess as a closing note, Sean, um, I, I think we should tell folks about, you know, what they can do to, to, um, to help the Vaquita and then also specifically what they can do to, um, to, to help us tell this uh, really important story about the Vaquita and its survival. So we started our Kickstarter campaign on June 1st, and I'm currently down filming or I have been filming for the last uh, couple of weeks, and I have uh, a few more weeks ahead of me as I'll be traveling down to the Vaquita Sanctuary um, to hopefully get a Vaquita sighting and interview some some fishermen. It would be great if anybody, um, if you felt like giving, uh, you know, we embrace that wholeheartedly and we appreciate it and it, it's necessary. Um, but if the other thing that you could do is spreading the word, not only about the fundraiser, but anything and everything that you know um, about the Vaquita. Uh, we need to share this knowledge. We need to share the effort that's already been going on. And any type of monetary um, uh, contribution is greatly appreciated. Uh, but also what's uh, just as important is the awareness factor. That's a really good point, Sean, and that's something that I've noticed as I have started talking about this film project and about the issues uh, revolving around the Vaquita um, amongst my friends and family um, is the thing I've noticed is that nobody has heard of the Vaquita. Um, So despite the fact that this is the most endangered marine mammal on the planet um, and that this is this, this really bizarre and fascinating animal species, very few people... Um, are aware of this issue, and very few people are aware of this crisis situation that this uh, species is is going through right at this moment. 
Um, and so it, it really is important to just just talk about it. You know, um, if, if this is something that interests you, if this is an animal that has sort of sparked your interest, um, you know, check out our Kickstarter page for the film. Learn more about it. You know, make a make a pledge if you if you can. I mean, any pledge amount is going to help, even if it's just a dollar or two. Um, it, it it really helps. You know, sort of uh, keep that momentum going. Um, and then, yeah, like Sean said, you know, share this around. Talk about the Vaquita issue with your friends and family. You know, this is a really important issue, and very few people are aware of what's going on down there in the Gulf of California. Um, so. Yeah, you can you can really help us out a lot just by sharing the campaign, pledging a dollar or two towards the Kickstarter campaign. And, you know, another great thing about this this Kickstarter campaign is that it it will provide you with a way to sort of stay up to date um, with the production of this film. Um, it's going to be an ongoing project, like we said, that we're going to be shooting over the next two to three years. Um, and, you know, Sean is right now currently down there um, in Mexico um, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, he's going to have the opportunity to, to get some really amazing footage, you know, working with the fishermen down there and, you know, potentially even get a chance to, to spot a vaquita out there in the wild. Um, but we will be doing regular updates on that Kickstarter page. And then we're also hopefully going to have the opportunity to do another sort of quick follow-up podcast interview with Sean once he gets back into the States and hopefully he can give us a little bit of an update on what he saw down there and what kind of footage he was able to capture. Yeah. I, uh, I'll do my best to get on there and I'll like, report live all the information uh, that I've uh, come about. Well, th- thanks a lot, Sean, for uh, chatting with us and coming on the show and sharing all this really important information about the Vaquita with us. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right, that was our conversation with EOC producer and director of the new film, Souls of the Vermilion Sea, Sean Bogle. The positive energy that Sean is putting towards this issue is absolutely infectious, and it's something that our collaborators and partner groups on the project have started to pick up on. Sean has been sending me clips of the footage that he's been gathering down there in San Diego, and almost every interview subject has provided an emphatic and sometimes very emotional thank you for his commitment to telling the story. This is one of the best things that you can hear as a filmmaker, especially when just beginning production on your first feature project. Um, And it's truly a testament to Sean's ability to bring people together for a common cause. We are extremely lucky to have Sean as a part of our team here at Wild Lens. So let's, let's show him some love by making a pledge on this Kickstarter campaign. Uh, you, you can also help us out by liking our new Facebook page for Souls of the Vermilion Sea, and of course, by sharing the campaign around and encouraging friends and family to do the same. The link for our Kickstarter campaign can be found on the show notes page for this episode, which you'll find at wildlandsinc.org slash EOC26. That's wildlandsinc.org slash EOC26. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. The Birds and the Beats is produced by Ben Mirren, and our theme music is by The Humidors. Humidors.